Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So, a little update, I guess. Uh, I am nine days away from finishing uni. Yeah, I wish I was that enthusiastic. Uh, and I've been like writing essays alongside this. Stuff like how worried are people about being a victim of online fraud and like does criminal behavior associate with psychopathy. So if anything overlaps at any point, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm going to leave that to your judgment whether anything overlaps. I'm sure if I start like defining what desistance is or drug addicted offender, I've probably overlapped somewhere. I'll let you be the judge of that. And for those of you who are wondering what I'm going to do after uni, uh, I'm going to spend a week exclusively in my pajamas. That's, that's my plan. Chocolate for breakfast, ramen for lunch, whatever else happens, happens. But I want that week to just be in pajamas exclusively. And that is, that is a question I get asked a lot as a student, is what I'm going to do in my degree, what you're going to do after uni. And it's a little bit of an annoying question, I'll be honest. Just because we aren't really sure what we want to do yet. And it's such a, because the way we phrase it is, what career do you want to go into? When, when you really think about it, people do different jobs over their lifetime. It's not just one thing. But then again, my university calls it a career service, not a job service. So it is kind of implanted in there. Uh, but whenever I hear that question, it's kind of like saying, what do you hope to do with your degree? What do you want to achieve with it? And that's an even more loaded question, uh, especially with how things are now. Like with my generation especially, like with global warming making natural disasters more common, uh, with uh, things being more expensive now than they ever have been, and mental health deteriorating, it's hard to be hopeful sometimes. It's hard to have a hope or a genuine like, expectation for things to go well. I'm not sure if that's for other people, but especially in my generation, I found we are quite hopeless at times. And that's why we as Brits, I think, are a little far too cynical as well. Because we know what it's like to like, hope in some, the wrong thing. If we hope in the wrong thing, and then it fails us, or it's not as good as we thought it was going to be, and we know that horrible, horrible feeling. But that's earthly hope, which is different to uh, like heavenly hope, to the hope we are given. Because our hope is not dependent on our circumstances on earth and what it provides us. That's the message of Hebrews, is that while earthly hope can disappoint, and man, it does disappoint sometimes, godly hope will not. So, uh, first of all, before I got into Hebrews, uh, I wanted to define what hope I'm talking about first, so I have some verses. And it's a bit of a paragraph, but I thought you can't summarize our hope in one verse. So, I've picked 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, which says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which is a great way to start. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And NIV uses hope, but I prefer great expectation. Like, this expectation, and it's great, you know. It's, it just sounds better. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Again, that's the earthly hope disappoints, but this is beyond that. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. 
Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. That is our hope, that Jesus will one day return, that our faith will be rewarded. And I like how it mentions there, it doesn't hide it, that you must, you must endure many trials for a little while. Like, it's not naive hope. It's not saying everything will be fine and dandy. There will be trials. But the way it's phrased as well, I also really like, you must endure many trials for a little while. Like, compared to what your reward is going to be, compared to eternal life, it'll be for a little while. Which is something that in the moment you forget so often. It feels like it's going to last forever when you're in that moment. But it's not a naive hope. It is not naive. But it will be if you're relying on earthly hope. And the thing is, that sounds amazing. It sounds incredible. I love that kind of hope. But how can we trust it? Because this, it's, it's a big thing to promise. How can we trust that this is, this is true? We've been promised so many things and so many promises have let us down. How can we trust this? Are God's promises a guarantee? And this is what the Jewish Christians were thinking at the time. This is what Hebrews was, Hebrews was written to the Jewish Christians who thought this. Um, because these Jewish Christians, uh, they had to basically acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Like all the way from Abraham and the, the Jewish nation as a whole, all the way up, that it led to Jesus. But in doing so, they faced a lot of persecution, and some were having doubts, and some were turning away from Jesus and everything that it stood for. But Hebrews was an encouragement to restore that hope, to remind them why they became a Christian in the first place. Like, you don't become a Christian just because. There was a reason why they changed. The old system was broken, and this new one was far better. This was the message that they were bringing. So, now I'm finally into Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 20, which... We don't often talk about the subtitles when it comes to verses. The, like, no one preaches about the subtitle, but the subtitle is God Promises Bring Hope, which, again, great start. <laughs> okay, so from verse 13. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham, and this is a great example for Jewish Christians because they would have all been very familiar with Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath, so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable, because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us great confidence this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls it leads us through the curtain into god's inner sanctuary jesus has already gone in there for us he has become our eternal high priest in the order of melchizedek melchizedek sorry hearing god's promises brings hope and it brings encouragement it is a strong and trustworthy anchor which is a very beautiful image like, earthly hope is dependent on things of this world, and that anchor can be flimsy at times. But this is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And it's, I tried to, you know, I tried to be really, um, like, intellectual and think of, like, 
different anchor facts and stuff like that. You know when people look in an image and they try and find the little hidden complexities? It's an anchor. Like, we all know what it is. <laughs> it embeds and secures a vessel into a strong bread, preventing that vessel from drifting. There's nothing more, com it's not complicated. It's a very simple analogy. And so we should be diligent to the very end, patiently and actively waiting, as God's promises are a guarantee, a strong and trustworthy anchor. So I wanted to go through the reasons as to why we can trust in it, why it's a strong, trustworthy anchor. And the first one is, God does not swear to anyone greater, which is said in those verses. And I mean, it mentions early in Hebrews 1 how the Son, Jesus, is greater than the angels and Moses who, were, who was revealed by the Jews. And by saying that, it's saying that this new covenant is greater, that this new hope Jesus brought is greater than the old covenant. And that, you know, there was an authority, they had the authority to change it. And um, it even says in Galatians, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, Galatians chapter 3. It wasn't on these notes for some reason. Galatians chapter 3. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. We can put our faith in God. He will count us as righteous because of what Jesus did. And the amazing thing is, there is no authority that's going to revoke that. There's no authority that's going to make a promise that's better than that or overrule it. There's only one authority that's higher, and that is where God is. So, second reason, God does not lie. God's promises are true because God doesn't lie. He cannot lie. He's holy, and it is against his very nature to lie. Like, when we talk about sin, it is about missing God's target. He is the standard. So, for him to lie would be for him to be sinful, which obviously doesn't work. He cannot lie. And so when he makes a promise, we know that it is true. And every prophet in the Bible is proof of that. When they spoke something, God, it, when they spoke something God told them, it was true. And it's great that Hebrews uses Abraham as an example. Because God made this promise to Abraham, this kind of unbelievable promise that came true. So Genesis chapter 17, verse 5 to 8. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you'll be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. And I want to make, clarify, at this point, he is like 75. Like, it is so unlikely that he is going to be the descendant of many nations. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you, and I will give the entire land of Canaan where you live now as a foreigner to you and your descendants. That part is important as well because Canaan, the land being given, being given the land of Canaan was like hundreds and hundreds of years yet. But still, God, God's promises came true eventually, right? It took 400 years, it took Moses, it took Joshua to get to that point, but that promise was true just as much. All that he said came to pass. As it says in Genesis 21, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. When God has decreed something, it must happen. And 1 Kings 8.56, Praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. God cannot lie, and there is no greater authority or power other than him. This next one is a little interesting. God does not change his mind. 
What he says is true will continue to be true. It won't change at any point. As Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Now, what's interesting about the promise that Abraham was given was that uh, when he was given that promise, they tried to rush it a little bit. And what actually happened was Sarah suggested having a descendant through their servant, Hagar. And, of course, this happened, and it wasn't quite what God had planned. It wasn't the plan God had for them, because he wanted Abraham and Sarah to have Isaac. So this kind of put a spanner in the works, which is kind of an understatement, really. But Genesis 17 kind of shows this. When Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed himself in disbelief, how could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is nearly 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, because they already had Ishmael, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Basically saying, may Ishmael live out the covenant you've made with me. But God replied, no. Sarah, your wife will give birth to your son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. That's my plan. As for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. He was very clear. He's not changing his mind about this. That is his plan. And also, it's quite interesting to see that despite their mistakes, God didn't change his plan either. Like, Sarah and Abraham made a mistake in doing that, in having Ishmael and trying to hurry this promise. But God didn't change his mind about that, didn't change his plan saying, well, this isn't worth it. They're not following. They're not righteous. That wasn't his answer to that. We can falter, we can make mistakes, but God does not change his mind or his plans for us. He still loves us despite our faults. And I wanted to also clarify because I read this somewhere and it was, some people just don't really, they read the Bible, but they don't really read it. (laughs) So someone mentioned that um, when Abraham brought Isaac to be sacrificed, that that's an example of God changing his mind, which if you read it and you know the context is not what happened at all. Like the reason for that was to test his great faith. It wasn't to change Isaac. It wasn't like they put Isaac up to the, the hillside and then God was like, Oh, hang on, he's really going to do it. Flip, okay. Uh, 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 never mind. No, take the ram instead. That's fine. It's not, no, don't worry about it. Chill. That's not what happened. It didn't change his mind about that. And I wanted to really visualize he can't change his mind, which is quite difficult to do with verses and stuff like that. So I actually found a graph, if you could put that up for me. Thank you. Very pretty colors. You know what? I'm going to stand over here so you can see it clearer. Uh, this is a table. This is a graph showing every cross-reference in the Bible. So every line you see there goes to, is like a reference. It links to chapters. So there's like little, I mean, it's really hard to see, but there's little bars below here for different books and chapters. And then each line is when a person, a concept, an idea, like crosses over when it's referenced. Past, future, like, I mean, I tried to look up like this massive one here from like Genesis to Revelation, but I couldn't find anything on it. But that's quite incredible how much it references itself. And that's proof of consistency. God never changes his mind. It's the same idea, the same plan that's continued through. And you can see just how it's weaved through that entire way. Like if at any point it contradicted, it wouldn't show up on there. 
It just shows this consistency. And when I looked this up, actually, it was quite interesting because I saw another graph that was in red, and it, was a bit, it wasn't as much as this. And I thought, what's that one about then? Because I'm kind of curious. And when I looked at it, it kind of gave the title in the same vein as the Bible cross-reference graph. Here is one of every time the Bible contradicts itself. And I thought, okay. So my immediate instinct was like, nope, not reading that. <laughs> but then I thought, you know what? I'm quite curious. What contradictions did they find? So I had a look. It was a mess. <laughs> like, none of it contradicted. And I read, like, comments of people below it going, yeah, none of this is contradicting itself. And, like, they repeated multiple, like, contradictions, quotation marks, to, like, inflate the results and make it look bigger. And, like, for example, one of the contradictions they gave was one verse says an eye for an eye. One verse says uh, turn the other cheek. How can the two be? It's the Old and New Testament. They're not, it doesn't contradict itself. <laughs> but there will always be people who try and show that this is how it contradicts. And they'll always try and, but if you don't know the Bible, if you don't know the nature of God, the nature of Jesus, what they did, then you can't correct them on that. I just find it fascinating how they try to, like, contradict it. And in the end, just showed how much more it, like, connected. Like, even people who weren't Christians were looking at it and like, yeah, this is just invalid completely. This doesn't work. So, yeah, God doesn't change his mind, as you can see there. He is consistent. What he says is a promise then is a promise now is a promise forever. Whatever he says will come to pass. And that's how we can be faithful of what God will do in the future because of how he's been faithful in the past. It's an example. It's why they look at Abraham specifically. But this is all good and great. And when God promises something, but sometimes it feels like it isn't happening. Like we hope and we pray for something to be fulfilled. And we know it will be. Of course it will be. But over time, nothing changes. And then you're waiting for God to fulfill this promise. And then you start to doubt a little bit. Will he actually fulfill this promise or not? Or when? And that leads on to this next point. God is not late. What he promised to Abraham happened even if it took time. His timing is different to ours. We may want something at a time we're not ready for it or at a time when someone else isn't ready for it. But God wants everything in the right time according to his plans. And Abraham is a really good example of this. Because when we read the Bible, there's like, you turn a few pages and like decades go past basically. And then when you actually read how this promise took place, so Genesis chapter 15, verse 3 to 6, is kind of one of the first promises he made was, uh, Abraham was saying, you have given me no descendants of my own, so no one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars you can, that's how many descendants you will have. This promise was made to Abraham when he was about 75 to 85. We're not completely sure, but that was the age range about. So let's make it an even 20, 80, sorry, to make it fair. So Abraham was promised this at 80. He had to wait a whole 20 years for it to be fulfilled and to have his son Isaac. 20 years. That's how long it took for that promise to be fulfilled. And God's promise for the land of Canaan, that was even longer. That was hundreds of years to come. And even Sarah and Abraham had their doubts. That's why they ended up having Ishmael was because they doubted how long it would take. They tried to rush the process. They tried to have 
the descendant when they could. But that wasn't God's timing. That wasn't God's promise. That wasn't his covenant. It's an example of faith in showing what you should not do. (laughs) You shouldn't try and rush things. Don't try to rush God's plans and his promises. They will be fully realized when he wants them to be. But while you're waiting, be diligent until the end. Like, when you're waiting, don't be passive about it. Like, actually read the Bible, pray. Like, actually get ready for whatever God has coming. It's like if you exercised for a week and then said, I've seen no improvement, stuff that then. That's, yeah, exactly. You laugh because that doesn't make any sense. It's a process. It's something you continually have to keep training for. And it's something that will be fully realized one day, but you have to work at it. It's something that comes with time. And as, I mean, this comes full circle again back to our expectation that Jesus will one day return, which is a big thing. Dave has been on about, not on about, has been talking about rapture. (laughs) That's the completely wrong phrase. He's been talking about rapture and he's been lecturing about it. And it's a weird topic to talk about. I'm not going to talk about it fully. But um, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 and then 13 to 15 kind of describes um, what we can do while we wait. For it says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That's how we should be using our time. And the hope for the Christian is something that is fully and finally realized in God's time, not in our own. And that comes to, we should be able to talk about our hope and our faith with others. That's why we are hope bringers. We're meant to tell other people, share to other people what this is about. And we're told to actively wait, to continue living in that hope. That's been something of a struggle for me, especially, because I recently had a challenge, because I used to pray for my friends to be saved. Basically, in secondary school, I'd pray it. I would, I'd like to say every night, but I don't know if it was every night. I did it every night I could, basically, and I would pray, God, please save these people, and, you know, bring them to church, all that kind of thing. And I did that for a few years, basically. But I didn't see much change happen. I saw people come to church, sure, but I didn't see anyone come saved. And because of that, I kind of stopped. I didn't just like suddenly stop me like, stop that, it's not happening. It was kind of a slow, gradual, I kind of stopped doing it. I stopped praying for them. And then it was only recently I was challenged because I realized that, you know, you can continue to pray for people. And I may not see them now, but maybe that hope is realized in their lifetime and I won't know about it. I don't know. But to stop praying entirely is the completely wrong way to go about it. It's like saying no for them. So I've continued to pray for them again. In fact, I made a little notebook of all their names and made sure that I pray for that and continue to pray for it, to be diligent in it, to continue to pray for it. And that's what we do as hopeful people. And we may not know that something's going to happen. We may not like be guaranteed or certain, but that's what faith is. It's, it's something we work towards. It's something we believe in and we like actively pray and we read the Bible about it. It's something we actively wait for instead of being passive. 
So that kind of leads on, leads on to a deep question. What are you hoping for? Where is your anchor secured? Is it a strong and trustworthy anchor? Is it a little rusty? Is it not quite where it needs to be? What are you hoping for? And then, do you believe God will do that? Honestly, does that, cha- does that change your perspective at all, knowing that God could be a part of that? It should. So, I'm going to finish this in prayer, but continue to live in that hope. If you're going to take anything, that's what I'm saying. Continue to live in that hope. You can trust it. It's a trustworthy and a strong anchor. Be ready to articulate your hope and explain it to other people. Be patient in waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. Because it may not be in the time you want it to be, but it will be in God's. And that's what we can pray for, for God's will to be in it. So, thank you, Father, for your hope that Jesus died on the cross for us and gave, gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with you. I pray that we trust in this hope that it is a strong and trustworthy anchor, God, that we'll be patiently waiting, actively waiting for you to fulfill your promises to us. I pray that we'll come away from this and really think about what hope we have, what you want to do in our lives, and we pray for your will and your blessing in all of it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.